0: Uh, we are, we're in a series right now called Physical Contact. Kind of the subtitle of that series is The Spirituality of Human Physicality. I didn't say that right, did I? I didn't say that the way I remembered it. A series on the materiality of human spirituality. And uh, we've, we've explored various topics and, and uh, this Sunday we're talking about the importance of and the potentiality of healing in physical touch. So the name of the sermon this morning is called A Healing Touch. And um, as we we approach this scripture this morning, uh, what I hope that you walk away from this sermon, by the end of the sermon, I hope that you have an appreciation for, And can pay attention to, in in a different way, the power that physical touch has in human life and in our spirituality as Christians and just as human beings. I hope that you walk away with an appreciation for that and maybe even an encouragement to think about that in a different way as we look at what Jesus is doing here. Um, in this story, there's, there's two healings that are taking place. One happening on the way to the other. Uh, and uh, so we're going to be focusing on the story about the woman with the, the, the hemorrhaging, the bleeding for 12 years. And um, when we look at this story, for me, it can be hard for me to relate to the miraculous side of the healing. You know, I, I think I saw some healings when I was young uh, in a small Pentecostal church that we went to. Um, but by and large, for most of us, uh, an instantaneous healing of a person is very difficult to relate to. It's a difficult concept. But what's in this story that's immediately relatable to all of us is the importance and the value that physical touch has in our lives and our relationships and how God interacts with us or could interact with us in relation to that. So uh, if you're like, well, I'm not thinking about that. I don't get that right now. Well, let me just give you an example. Any of you have a sibling that you grew up with? Anybody, a brother or sister? Yeah. So did you ever growing up, did your mom or your dad or whoever ever force you to hug them when you guys were fighting? Yeah, I, me, me and my younger brother is 21 young, months younger than me. And I can remember several instances where my mom made us hug. And I think it's, it's really fascinating because we're arguing, we're fighting, we're tattling on each other, we're doing all this stuff. And uh, we might have to like write something or go to time out. But there were several times, I think my mom went to a seminar, read a book or something, where all of a sudden she started making us hug. And we couldn't stand it. (laughs) You know, of course, I mean, you, you don't want to hug when you're arguing with somebody. And I think that just goes to show and prove the point of how important physical touch is in our relationships. Because there is something about giving somebody a hug that changes the dynamic in the relationship. And if it doesn't, like if me and my brother hugged and we're still just mad and we're going, ugh, which is what we did, it also further illustrates the point that we know what a hug should be able to do when it doesn't, right? Um, so there, there's so many ways that we can think about this that you can draw to mind the importance of physical touch in our lives with, with people that we know and care about. Um, I was listening to the news uh, this week and they were interviewing a reporter, uh, a guy that worked for the Washington Post named uh, Jason Rezian, I think that's how you say his name. And in, in 2014, he spent 544 days in prison in Iran and a lot of it was in complete isolation, like all by himself. And uh, he was giving people a little bit of advice about coming back out into the world after having quarantined, self-quarantined, for so long, and um, he was saying different things about it, but one of the things he said is, hey, you know, when when I came out of that, I had so little physical touch, and I thought that maybe I would have really enjoyed getting hugs and these types of things, but he found that he was really resistant to the touch of another human being. And part of it was because the threat of any physical touch when he had spent all those days in isolation would have been combined with violence. So the idea of a physical touch was combined with that it might've been an act of violence. And and many of us are in this situation as well, when we're thinking about COVID-19 and the possibility of how germs are spreading, it changes the dynamics of physical contact. So even though a handshake in some sense as a handshake or a hug is a hug depending on the energy connected to it the intention behind it and what's in the person's mind and heart when those things happen those physical touches have really different effects can you relate to that can you relate to the difference between a hug that you had that felt healing that that felt like the repairing of a relationship it was almost like Like signing a contract to say, I'm back with you. We are friends again. We are spouses again. We are uh, father and daughter or whatever it might be again. And then also a hug that afterwards you almost felt worse after the fact. This is the weight of human touch and physical contact in our world that I think is highlighted so amazingly in this passage here. So uh, we're going we're to look at this passage in detail. We're going to read through the scriptures here and uh, show these connections and hopefully be inspired to think about how we interact physically and with our contact with one another and with God in important ways and in healing, specifically in healing ways. So here's the thing. Um, in all of the examples I gave, there's, there's almost an implied connection in physical contact to pain. And it's in this verse, obviously, right? This woman suffering for 12 years with hemorrhaging and the connection of pain that we want relief from. Like when my kids are hurting, one of the only things that I can do to help them feel better is actually give them a hug or to kiss their boo boo. Uh, yesterday, Benjamin was laughing because Xavier hurt his finger and uh, he's gotten used to me kissing his boo boos. And so I kissed it and then he turned his finger and he's like, right here. And I kissed it and he turned it again. And then he picked up his other hand and he said, this one right here. And he kissed it and he's just over there giggling because now I've kissed Xavier's fingers like eight times. And uh, and, the, and the purpose of that story is just to show the connection between potential connection between pain and physical contact. So let's look at these first couple verses here. In verse 25, it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. Can you imagine how lonely this woman was at this time? Can you imagine the lack of touch and care that she might have had in her life other than doctors prodding and poking her, trying to figure out what was wrong with her? See, I want to talk about for a moment this this strange connection to faith. And the connection is this. When we are in great pain, we know it so immediately, but it's so hard for another person to connect to our pain in a unique way. It's lonely. It's isolating to be in great physical pain. I'll give you an example. If you've been around, you've heard me talk about this in different sermon illustrations, but I I hurt. Uh, to, uh, I hurt my chest really bad a couple of years ago. Uh, I completely severed my pectoralis major, your main chest muscle. Severed it from my shoulder tendon. It's separated. Okay. I was in the gym and working out. I have uh, I had a lot of things going on in my life, and I was keep trying to keep my my gym regimen, trying to be healthy. And it happened just sort of like a normal weightlifting set fell on the ground afterwards, I was like in shock, I went all cold and was sweaty, and everybody else in the gym is like, what is wrong with this guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> I remember one of the workers at the croc, she said, were you training for something? And I was like, no, no I wasn't. I was just trying to exercise. Uh, and and I, called, I called my wife, who was a nurse, and she wasn't impressed with, with my pain, with my story, and uh, I think it has something to do with this whole man sick thing. You guys, you guys heard of this? This whole thing that men, you know, are babies when they get sick and women are really tough when they get sick. And it's kind of true, you know. So, um, so I say, will you come pick me up? And she's like, well, I've got the kids and you just need to drive home. I'll come up there and I'll follow you home. And I'm like, okay, I'll drive home. And I'm driving home like still kind of sweaty and with my, right, my left arm. I'm not really using it. And she's like, I think you're gonna be fine. I think you're gonna be just fine. Just go to sleep and uh, you know, it'll be better in the morning and if not, you know then we can do something. And I'm like, okay, but I'm sure something really bad happened. I feel it, it hurts really bad. And the next day, I had a bruise. So the blood underneath had formed and come all the way down to my elbow. So the inside of my arm here was all purple and I showed that to Becky and she's like okay yeah we need to go to the hospital Uh, $9,000 surgery later I'm good to go look at this yeah, full range of motion yeah thank you Um, and and this story just goes to to illustrate and this idea of like man sickness too which turns out that's a thing like they've done research on it and and like when men get the flu or like certain kinds of colds, they've like studied the immunoresponse in men and women and stuff like that. And men are actually getting sicker with the same cold than women. So, ha, women. My wife's not in here. She's up there with Xavier. But I'm going to tell her about that. I've been waiting for the right moment when that happens. But... The thing that I experienced and that you've no doubt experienced at some point in your life is it's incredibly difficult to, ex- to, to communicate about the pain that you're in when your body's in pain. And even more so, it's not interesting to other people. Like, it's, it's so hard. If, if I was to go into more details about that injury, you would no doubt check out. Benjamin, use, use, use a side aisle next time if you're gonna get, get some crayons or something. You can't just walk around, all right? Okay, sit down. It's growing pains of getting back to church. Podcast people enjoy that. All right, so you cannot, uh, you, it, it's so difficult to communicate about the pain you're in. It's so isolating and so lonely, uniquely so about any human experience. And I want to share a quote from you, for you, with you, uh, from this book that Elaine Scarry wrote called The Body in Pain. And the subtitle is The Making and Unmaking of the World. Uh, and in this book, she's doing some incredible, academic, it's a very academic book. Um, and she's studying what happens to human beings and how do we use pain politically, Uh, for torture, but even in terms of creativity and relationships. It's a fascinating uh, journey and discovery that she goes on in this book. But there's something here that I want to highlight that she shares about the isolation and loneliness of physical pain. And it's, it's up on the screen here. She says this, To have great pain is to have certainty. Right, You know pain when you feel it more so than you are sure of anything else. But also, to hear that another person has pain is to have doubt. The doubt of other persons here as elsewhere amplifies the suffering of those already in pain. So not only is pain itself something that you know for certain and somebody else has doubts about, just like the man sick example, just like the maybe we should go to the doctor now that I see your whole body's pooling up with blood internally. It even enhances the pain that we're in because other people are not able to believe us to the degree to which we are certain of the pain that we are in. All this I'm sharing with you to help you to make a connection to what's happening inside of this woman as she's experiencing the loneliness, the aloneness of the pain. Can you relate to feeling that way? To that that thing that all of us said when we were teenagers, like, nobody knows the pain I'm in, right? And eventually we just come to accept the fact That if you talk about your toothache for more than a few seconds, somebody's eyes are going to glaze over, right? Which makes this story here with Jesus all the more fascinating, all the more incredible when he responds the way that he does. In verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So this woman, she says, I I think if I can just touch his his cloak, his clothing, that I'll be healed. And there's a reason why she thought that. She believed something very specific about Jesus, and this is going to come to your neighborhood real quick. So hold on with me, okay? So Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, would have most likely been wearing a certain type of clothing. Regular old, like, tunic, but then like this prayer shawl that had tassels on it on the sides. And uh, the, the Jewish word um, uh, for tassels, I'm not going to try to pronounce that, but, but there, there became, in, in popular culture, an understanding that if the Messiah showed up, that you would be able to find healing for yourself if you were to touch those tassels. And it comes from Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. It's on the screen. It says this, The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And the Jewish word for wings, uh, kanaphim, was the same word used for the edge of that prayer shawl garment that Jesus would have had on. So, so here's, here's what I'm saying. The woman only thought what she thought and did what she did because she believed something to be true about Jesus. So the disciples are like, hey, Jesus... What do you mean somebody touched you? There's people bumping you, running into you. We're in this huge crowd of people. There's always people touching you. But Jesus felt something different when this woman laid hold of his garment because of what she believed about him. It's just like the difference between a hug with someone that you're intending to bring healing and connection with and being forced to wear a get-along shirt with your brother where you're both stuck inside your dad's big shirt or something like that, right? Both the similar kind of physical touch and contact, but with completely different outcomes based only upon what you believe about the person in whom you're having that contact with. Is anybody getting what I'm talking about here? Are you picking up what I'm putting down right now? So... For us, I I wonder, I wonder for myself, how many times I've missed an opportunity because I didn't believe in the possibility of healing to take place with the person that I was having contact with, right? Because of my cynicism, because because I, I, I stopped hoping that things could be healed and repaired. I came to believe about the other person, the other person who had maybe the power to bring healing in my life, that they were the smallest and uh, most negative version of themselves, that I started to believe that was true about them. But what was actually and in fact true is that I missed an opportunity because of the pettiness and the smallness of what I believed about that person. And this is not just true of other people. This happens with God. We begin to believe things about God just as people in the crowd uh, were bumping up against Jesus, touching his clothing, but because of the intention in which they did it, nothing happened. Nothing occurred. And it was all based on the desperation and the belief and the hope that that woman had that maybe this big, awesome thing is true of who Jesus is. And so our environment is greatly impacted by what we believe is true about it. Here's, here's, here's something you could, you could keep on this, right? It's not the best worded sentence, but it's good enough. What we believe about others affects what can be healed or refreshed in our relationship with them. What we believe about others affects what can be healed or refreshed in our relationship with them. I was on a plane uh, several years ago now, probably three years ago, and. Um, I was flying a lot at the time, flying all over the country for a job. And um, I was sitting next to a guy or a girl, I don't remember, but their spouse had a different seat and they asked me if I could move, so I moved. And it was actually one of those rare situations where I got to move up in the plane, right? As opposed to the bathroom where that usually happens when you make that move. And I was sitting next to an elderly gentleman and, and he was a Caucasian man, and he had an Alabama ring on, and he noticed that I changed seats, and he said, oh, that was nice that you changed seats. A lot of people wouldn't do that. And I was like, oh, yeah, thanks, you know. And he, he wanted to talk a little bit. And in the beginning, my assessment of this elderly white male from Alabama that I thought, because of his ring, was... Uh, very limited in what that conversation could be like, looking like what I look like. And so on the front end of the conversation, because of my presuppositions about how he might believe about me, I limited what was possible in that conversation. But it was a very long flight. We were going to California. And so as the flight progressed, we got into this incredible Conversation. I found out he was a chaplain and, and, and was a theologian and had been a civil rights activist and had worked to bring conversations between different groups of people uh, who were more conservative and liberal on college campuses. And he wrote a book which he sent to me in the mail later and I read, which was fantastic. It's called Taking the Bible Seriously, and it was about different viewpoints of conservative and liberal that both people, both groups are taking the Bible seriously. And I almost missed out on that powerful, and I would even say healing, conversation because of what I believed about him. Thankfully, what he believed about me was much more expansive, was, was much more generous. And so we got to have a relationship and a connection that brought about change and healing in both of our lives over that really long flight. Looking back in the scriptures, I want to highlight the fact that Jesus sees this woman in a way she doesn't expect to. So in verse 30, it says this, At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Hey, when Jesus says, hey, who touched me? Does anybody else think it's, it sounded mad when you first read that part? Like, who, who touched me? Or like, I kind of think of it like a mean girl, like in high school, like, oh, who just touched me? Like, oh my gosh, right? And, and I think that's because there are experiences in my life that conditioned me to think that's what God might respond like. That's what the Messiah might respond like. And so my belief about Jesus, just like the woman was trembling with fear, was limited by my past experiences, by what other people told me, by how my caregivers treated me when I needed something from them in certain instances. And Jesus just says, hey, who touched me? Here's what I think happens a lot of times, is we confuse showing up with our needs in relationship with God or other people with self-pity, with self-pity, okay? Self-pity is when we feel sad, and in order to avoid the pain of it, we feel sad, we feel afraid, we feel lonely, and in order to avoid the pain of it, we try to get somebody else to feel it for us. So instead of sitting with our own feelings and processing them and letting those things wash over us, letting the pain come through us, we ask somebody else through manipulative conversation, we've all done it, we all do it, to feel our feelings for us, the feelings that we are unable to feel because we keep bringing them up over and over and over because we've never ourselves dealt with them, self-pity. But hear this, asking somebody to bear witness to your pain, to say, I am hurting, I am sad, I am lonely, this is the place that I am in, that is not self-pity. Asking somebody, will you sit with me and see me in pain is not self-pity when we take responsibility to feel it for ourselves, then we can risk asking somebody else to be with us in it, to see us in it. And when we are seen, we can be healed. When we are seen in our pain, we can find healing. Asking the Christ to bear witness to our pain opens the possibility of healing. It says the woman came trembling with fear. She reached out with a desperate need. She took responsibility. She pushed her way through the crowd, probably with a lot of shame, but her anger, her passion outweighed her shame. And she found her way to say, Jesus, I need something From you. I don't know how you're gonna respond, but I'm hoping that you can heal me. This is actually, and it can be, a corrective story for many of us. For many of us who are overly apologetic, who hide our needs and then build resentment when our needs aren't being met, when somebody isn't finding us in our self pity and meeting there are needs for us without communicating them. This woman owned her need and she said, see me in it, will you be here with me? Will you heal my affliction? She was sure that her worst fears would be revealed. She came out of the crowd trembling, but she did it anyway. What happened instead is she was believed that the isolation of her pain was taken away this is what i find so compelling about christianity is in christianity we have a god who experienced deep reservoirs of pain and looks at us and says i see you in your pain. And because of that, I can bring healing to you. But Jesus wasn't content. He wasn't content to say, Oh, I felt the power leave me. Somebody must have got healed. I got to keep moving and do this other thing. He said, Who was it? Let me see them. Let me make eye contact with this person to let them know that I understand that they are not alone in their pain. I wonder what the world would look like if every one of us felt connected even though we experience pain. It would be a different world. How how much of the wars, arguments of the culture of race wars afflictions in our world right now are because somebody is alone in their pain and they're making other people suffer because of it so when she touched Christ's cloak she felt the change happening inside of her but the story wasn't over In verse 34, as Jesus sees her and she comes forward and tells the whole truth, it said, tells everything about what it was like for her. And Jesus sees her in it. He doesn't ignore her. He doesn't stop and check his Twitter feed because her pain and her suffering is so uninteresting to him. But he stays present with her and he looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It was in the seeing, the bearing witness to the acknowledgement that the woman's healing was made complete. So we don't, we don't need to practice self-pity. We can show up with our needs, with our pain, with our hurt, with our loneliness, and God stands ready to offer healing to us. The amazing thing about it is when we think back to that isolation of pain, the certainty of the pain for ourselves and the doubt for other people, is that the reason why this happened the way it happened in the story is because Jesus believed the woman's pain. That's why he gets to be the Messiah. Because where we have doubt, he has faith and certainty. So he saw her and met her in her pain, bore witness to it, and she found herself healed. So as we come to the table, let's try to bring our whole selves, the pain of who we are and what we need healing from. And we're going to be We're going to have a few folks off to the side for prayer this morning. We'll have masks on, and the three of us who are up there are are vaccinated as well. If you want prayer, we're going to get back into being able to do that uh, now. So if you would, let's prepare for communion. I'll pray for us as Linda comes up. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, this story. Thank you for the, the presence and the loving kindness of Christ and how we get to know a side uh, of of God as compassionate, as loving, as standing ready to meet our need of believing us in our pain. Amen.